Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a podcast made possible by members of The Local. The German parliament has just voted through a bill to legalize cannabis possession. So today we're going to tell you all about that. High profile politicians in Germany are accusing Berlin's International Film Festival of anti-Semitism. So we'll explain what's going on there. A far-left militant on the run from police for decades was arrested this week in Berlin. We'll dig into this story and look at the history of the extremist group, the Red Army Faction. As we head into a new month, we're talking about some of the big changes ahead, including two immigration rules. We'll also hear from immigration lawyer Sven Hasse, who is answering a reader question on visas. Finally, we'll talk about some of the events in March across Germany that we want to check out. I'm Rachel Loxon, and I'm here in Berlin today with journalist Imogen Goodman and Rachel Stern. Hello. Hello. Hello, Rach. How's it going, Imogen? Nice to have you back. We haven't seen you in a few weeks. Yes. Yeah, it's great to be back. Yeah, I've been away in England for, gosh, almost three weeks, and I feel like I've come back just in time for the start of spring, hopefully. So <laughs> it's really nice. It was a good amount of time to be in England, but I'm also equally very happy to be back. Excellent. Are you good, Rachel? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Also enjoying the start of spring. Great. So a little public service announcement. We're going to take a wee break from the podcast next week, guys. It's International Women's Day next Friday, March the 8th. And that's a public holiday in Berlin. So I am going to take a few days off work next week. So we'll be back the, the week after. So it's maybe a chance for you, our listeners, to catch up on some of our previous episodes. We've covered loads of topics about Germany. So yeah, dig in and let us know what you think about them. Let's get into the stories we're going to talk about today. So weed lovers might be a little happier than usual because Germany has taken a huge step forward in its plans to legalize the possession of cannabis. So last Friday, the German Bundestag, the parliament, approved a law to legalize cannabis in Germany. This draft law took quite a bit of time to make it to this stage. There were several amendments and there's a lot of controversy around around it. So it's quite a big deal that it's got this far. Rachel, what are the key points of this draft law that we should know about? Well, the draft law is often dubbed legalization light in the German media because it still comes with quite a lot of rules and restrictions. So for people over the age of 18, possession of up to 25 grams will be allowed in public spaces and in private homes, on the other hand, double that amount. So 50 grams will be permitted and grow 
growing up to three cannabis plants will also be legal in your own home. And another part of the draft law is the so-called cannabis social clubs that will be allowed starting July 1st. And for some of you, this might invoke the image of people gathering to light up together. So it's important to note a big caveat. No cannabis is allowed to be consumed on site at these clubs. Rather, the clubs are just for non-commercial cultivation. They can have up to 500 members who have to be over the age of 18. And the use of cannabis is also, not surprisingly, to be prohibited at schools and sports facilities or specifically within 100 meters of them. Okay, so the law still has to go through the Bundesrat, which represents the states. My understanding is the Bundesrat can't shoot it down, but it may hit some delays there. It's not impossible. That could happen. But once it has been approved and comes into force, it still seems like it's going to be quite hard to buy cannabis, right? That's right. So the original plan to be able to sell it in specialty shops has been postponed. And even when that's allowed, there will be special and very small pilot projects to sell it only in limited quantities. And some cannabis companies and people working for them, such as Alexander Rosani, who's the founder of Nimbus Health, has said, quote unquote, the fact that home cultivation is now allowed to a limited extent does not help the industry. But that said, you know, there's been a lot of hype surrounding the legalization or legalization light and a lot of stores selling legal products like hemp have been opening up. So I can only imagine that there's going to be a wave of stores that does open once um, it is allowed, if it is allowed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, it definitely seems like if you're already in the business of growing cannabis, I don't know, doing it illegally, or you already kind of are in the scene, it seems like it's going to be much easier. But if you're someone who's never been involved with cannabis and you're trying to get hold of it, it looks like it'll be quite hard. Yeah, I mean, as a regular person, I don't know how I would do it. Not that I'm planning on it or waiting for it, but, you know, it's not so clear cut. You would have to like join a club, but even that is there's not endless clubs out there, that kind of thing. So yeah, I can see why it's a kind of light version. Exactly. And you have to be admitted to one of these clubs and go through a whole rigmarole. Yeah. Rachel, what are the people against the law saying about it? Because I believe there are quite a lot of people against it. And and what do supporters of it say? That's right. So the CDU has long been against it, warning that it will lead to a uptake in risky behavior. And yeah, they so said, that's the conservative, the opposition, Christian Democrats, right? That's right. And the Bavarian sister party, the CSU, and they have said that if they get into government next year, they're going to reverse the law completely. And a lot of health experts have also warned that it will lead to overconsumption But interestingly, German health minister Karl Lauterbach has said that it will help tackle the black market. And last Friday, when the law passed, he said, quote unquote, with this law, we will achieve a significant reduction in the black market, better protection for children and young people, and a safer product for older consumers. And also, Burkhardt Blinyat, the government's drugs commissioner, has said, Bans won't help against smoking weed, and the current criminalization of people has nothing to do with health protection. 
Interesting. So, Rachel, you're Californian. How does this law differ to other places where the laws on marijuana have been relaxed, for example, in California or other parts of Europe? So in my home state of California, you have to be over 21 to purchase and consume cannabis, pretty much just like alcohol there, any other place in the states. But other than that, there are much laxer regulations on the amounts which can be consumed or possessed at any given time. So in California, you can possess up to one ounce, which is 28.5 grams of dried cannabis flour um, and up to eight grams of cannabis concentrate-infused products, gummies, cannabis chocolate, or cannabis beverages. There's a whole slew of products on the market right now. And, you know, it's also not legal at the federal level, unlike in neighboring Canada. Um, But there are various states who are continuing to make it legal. And so within the EU itself, only Luxembourg and Malta have fully legalized cannabis. Um, And Malta is even considered the most tolerant country because it allows adults to carry up to seven grams of cannabis and grow up to four plants at home. And there are a lot of these cannabis social clubs in other parts of Europe, but they operate differently than what Germany is envisioning. So in countries such as Spain and Belgium, for example, cannabis social clubs allow members not only to cultivate, but also to consume the drug on site. And famously in the Netherlands, there have been prolific quote-unquote coffee shops since the 1970s, especially in Amsterdam. And in the country as a whole, the possession of no more than seven grams has been decriminalized. And also, it's worth noting that several EU countries also allow its use for medical reasons, just as Germany has since 2017. Okay, thanks for that, Rachel. Berlin's international film festival, the Berlin Alley, wrapped up last weekend and it brought with it some amazing films and high-profile guests to the red carpet. But the event has also seen a lot of controversy and now German government ministers and other politicians are involved, accusing the event of promoting anti-Semitism. So, of course, this is linked to the conflict between Israel and Gaza. It's been talked about a lot at the event and protested at times. And as we've discussed before on our podcast, this is a polarizing and difficult topic in Germany. So Imogen, can you try and tell us what is going on and why are people in Germany talking so much about the the film festival? Well, it it really is, as you say, just another example of just how fraught this discussion is, discussions of the Israel-Gaza war and what's going on in the Middle East. And really, it is quite, there are quite a few layers to sort of peel away before you really get down to the nitty gritty of what has gone on here. So as you can imagine, a bit like in sort of previous years with discussions of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, the situation in the Middle East, specifically in Gaza and Israel, was a significant topic at this year's Berlinale. And multiple filmmakers, artists actually used their platforms at the prize giving ceremony to express solidarity with, with Palestinians and to call for peace. Interestingly, most of the controversy, most of the backlash actually relates to the winners of the documentary prize. So it was a pair, the Jewish-Israeli 
filmmaker and journalist Yuval Abraham and uh, his partner or co-director, Palestinian filmmaker Basil Ardera. So their documentary, No Other Land, uh, actually deals with the Israeli occupation of the West Bank and discusses how kind of violent settlers in the regions are forcing Palestinians out of their homes. So in his acceptance speech, um, Ardera actually said he found it quite hard to celebrate winning the prize, given that tens of thousands of his people are currently being slaughtered, were his words, in Gaza. And the fact that in his own region, Masafayata, whole villages are still being raised to the ground. There is this forced and quite brutal expulsion happening in the area. So he ended his speech by calling on Germany to listen to the UN. Uh, This is something the UN has said, and stop sending weapons to Israel. Obviously, Germany uh, supplies a lot of arms to Israel. So Abraham, who's the Israeli journalist, actually also gave a speech, but he dealt more with what he described as Israel's apartheid regime. So he mentioned the fact that as an Israeli, he has civil liberties, voting rights, freedom of movement, whereas Adra actually exists under a military law, under occupation. He has no ability to leave the West Bank or cast a vote in elections, for example. So these are claims that are have been fact-checked by international um, organisations. Amnesty International um, has described uh, what's happening in the West Bank as apartheid. So this is something that, that he wasn't kind of making up on the hoof. But his speech kind of ended with a call for an end to this uh, regime and a ceasefire also in the Gaza Strip. What was the reaction to all of this? So interestingly, um, though the the comments seem relatively benign on the face of it, there was a massive backlash. So Israeli media, I think, started by saying that the comments were anti-Semitic. This uh, was also the view of Berlin Mayor Kai Wegner. So he took to social media to denounce the Berlin Ali speeches, uh, to say that they were anti-Semitic, to accuse the visitors there, the festival goers, of relativizing those brutal Hamas attacks on October 7th by not mentioning them and by supporting the Palestinian cause. So this then blew up massively. It sparked something of a media frenzy. Uh, There were politicians lining up to condemn the speeches, saying that they were motivated by deep-seated hatred of Israel and, by extension, the the Jewish people. And Greens culture minister Claudia Roth was also actually caught in the crossfire. She was caught on camera clapping uh, the speeches Mm -hmm. that were given uh, after the documentary prize was, was given out. That sparked criticism. There were even calls for her to resign. So she since backpedaled and said, actually, I was only clapping the Israeli director and not the Palestinian Mm. one. Seems like an interesting response there. And I'm not sure if it really is the right one or the most democratic one. But that's her line that she's taken since then to try and deal with this backlash. Yeah, I saw that she was getting a lot of flack for that. That was a really strange reaction, I think. Yes. So there are lots of different parts to it, Imogen, as you've been kind of summing up. This is such a big question. (laughs) But why is criticizing Israel seen as anti-Semitic to many in Germany? Yeah, you're right. It's a huge, broad question. We could be here for hours discussing it, and it's fascinating. Um, But I would say if I have to sum it up and, and really boil down what I think is happening here, you can really give two answers. So the first would relate to 
Germany's history, of course, the mass murder of Jews during the Nazi era, the Holocaust, and the fact that since then, as part of its atonement and sort of memorialising of what happened, of its history, there has been a real close relationship with Israel. And Germany has said that you know, previous chancellors have said that the Staatsreason, so the sort of the reason of state mm-hmm. of Germany is to secure the security of Israel, to support Israel. And of course, Israel has this very unique place as a safe haven for, for Jews, mm-hmm. as, a, as a Jewish state. So that's on the face of it, one uh, a powerful reason why there is a strong impulse in Germany to shield Israel from criticism, and particularly any critique of its military response to the Hamas attacks of October 7th last year. So that's the first answer. The second answer might be a slightly more cynical one, and that would be that these blanket accusations of anti-Semitism could be used to simply shut down debate when it comes to the Middle East. It does feel like this is um, this is a, a, a tactic to really close down legitimate criticisms and discussions of the human rights situation, for, for example, in Gaza, without really having to engage with it. As soon as you say that's anti-Semitic, then there's no opening to really discuss the, the meat of the issue. So it is no secret that there has been a major crackdown on expressions of support for Palestine in Germany. There's been police cracking down on protests, arresting people, uh, government agencies, for example, cutting off funding for a huge number of cultural organisations that have perhaps held a pro-Palestine event or who have called for a ceasefire. So really almost McCarthyist uh, kind of approach to, uh, to, to kind of freedom of speech. One thing that is quite interesting to note is actually how many Jewish people have been the victims of, of this crackdown. So research that was recently carried out by Emily Dishabeka actually showed that Jews were disproportionately affected by these arrests and cancellations over support for Palestinian people Mm. and calling for a ceasefire, for instance. Apparently around a third of people who have maybe been disinvited from events do actually have Jewish heritage. And that really cuts against this narrative that it is all about protecting Jews. So if you take Abraham as an example, it does feel a little ironic that a Jewish Israeli man is being accused of anti-Semitism by primarily German commentators, which aren't, which, who don't have a Jewish background, simply for calling for equality mm-hmm. and for an end to the bombing in Gaza. How is this being viewed by the rest of the world? Because, you know, as you said, all eyes are kind of on Germany in this latest kind of controversy surrounding the festival. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has really blown up. It has been picked up not only by the German media, but also abroad in international news outlets like The Guardian and, as I mentioned, also in Israeli media. I think that there has been some disbelief and and confusion looking at this from, from afar. There has also been a lot of condemnation, for example, a left-wing and very pro-Palestine commentator in England, Owen Jones, recently made a video where he called for Germany to be boycotted um, because of the way that they are approaching freedom of speech and dissent in, in, in this way. But I think maybe the most important thing to mention is the impact this has actually had on these two filmmakers in the aftermath of the event. So Abraham, for instance, um, has apparently been bombarded with death 
threats since the media storm blew up. Um, And he's even had to postpone his trip back to Israel due to fears for his own safety. So on Tuesday, uh, he posted on Twitter to say that a group of far-right thugs had actually come to his home in Israel. Um, He wasn't there, but they were looking for him. They threatened his family. And he actually addressed head-on these these claims of anti-Semitism, calling the whole thing absurd and accusing Germany in particular of weaponizing this word and really endangering Jewish lives by making the term meaningless. So he gave quite a powerful um, statement to The Guardian um, saying that to stand on German soil as the son of a Holocaust survivor and call for a ceasefire and to then be labelled as anti-Semitic is not only outrageous, it is also literally putting Jewish lives in danger. He said, I don't know what Germany is trying to do with us. If this is Germany's way of dealing with its guilt over the Holocaust, they are emptying it of all meaning. So really powerful words there. Yeah. There's also a lot of concern for for the Palestinian co-director, Basil Adra. As mentioned, he is in this military occupation. And so this could be potentially a life-threatening situation for him, given that there are violent settlements all around him. And this attention would be very much unwanted for him. It is worth saying, though, that we are seeing um, more recently German media figures sticking their head above the parapet a little bit. This is something that there has been a very deafening silence, really, from in in the German media about this particular issue. But since this controversy and this backlash over the Berlinale, a few media figures, prominent media figures, have said it is possible to talk about a ceasefire without that being anti-Semitic. Mm. It is t- possible to talk about the ongoing you know, bombing and the, the harm to civilians in Gaza without always having to mention October 7th. And those kinds of statements, the fact that we're just starting to hear that could be a sign that the tide is slightly shifting, that there is more of a pushback against this real you know, crackdown on Yeah, on that kind of one-track thinking and absolutely. not being able to see the whole picture. Of course. Of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for that, Imogen. That's really interesting. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. On Tuesday this week, a German activist said to be part of the far-left militant group, the Red Army Faction, was arrested in Berlin after being on the run from police for more than 30 years. Daniela Klette, who is 65, was part of a trio who are being investigated for attempted murder and serious robberies that took place between 1999 and 2016. 
Rachel, what do we know about this suspect? So Daniela Cleta was part of the fugitive trio who are all alleged members of the Red Army faction, so-called third generation, and their chief suspects in a 1993 explosives attack against prison that was under construction in the German state of Hesse. And so the Red Army faction officially disbanded in 1998, but they're known for their criminal activities in the 60s and 70s, such as armed robberies, kidnappings, and even murder. And Kletta was arrested in her apartment in the Berlin district of Kreuzberg, where she was living with her partner and dog, and she apparently didn't show any signs of resistance. And so in addition to two other members, Ernst Volke Staub and Berhard Gavig, she's currently being investigated for attempted murder and various serious robberies. And the other two have not been caught. There was a false lead today at the time of recording on Wednesday, but the two are still on the loose. And the three were suspected to be financing their lives on the run through robberies, on money transporters, and also supermarket cash heist. Um, And they're also suspected of being behind the failed robbery of a money transporter in 2016 near the northern city of Bremen, among other offenses. Can you give us a bit more background about this Red Army faction, Rachel, and the history around it? Yeah, so the Red Army faction is otherwise known as the Bada Meinhof Group, and they were founded in the late 60s by several people, including namesake Andreas Bada, and they were led by the far-left journalist Ulrike Meinhof. And they believed that lessons had not yet been learned from the horrors of Nazism and became convinced that violence was the only way to, quote-unquote, wake up their peers. And so the terror campaign that they started lasted over a decade. They bombed many buildings linked to the press, who they considered especially dangerous agents of propaganda, but also German soldiers and police were targeted. And so the founders were captured and put in prison, but the suicide of Mannhoff in her cell in 1976 sparked a whole new wave of violence that was known as the German Autumn. There's also a film about this group, right? That's right. The film called The Bada Meinhof Complex is a nearly two and a half hour film about the group made in 2008 and directed by Uli Adel. I saw it over 10 years ago and still remember walking out of the theater in broad daylight, just feeling numb practically because it was such a terrifying and powerful movie. And it's really been hailed for its intricate details and being very historical historically accurate. Thanks for that, Rachel. So if you're interested in German history, you should definitely check out that film. Okay, we're into a new month already. The day this episode is released is March the 1st. So let's get into the changes that people should know about. Imogen, can you tell us about a few of the important changes in March? Sure, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot going on this month, but one uh, change that I'm very much looking forward to is the clocks being set forward. Mm. I always get confused Yay. with which is back, which is forward, but this one's forward. Um, and that's happening on Sunday, March the 31st. So 
So at 2 a.m., the hands will go forward by one hour to 3 a.m. And that means that we will have lighter evenings. So it's going to be absolutely wonderful. I feel like that's really when spring begins for me. Yes, Um, you too. So the other one, uh, slightly less positive, I'm afraid, uh, for pensioners. So health insurance contributions, sadly, uh, went up for a lot of people this year. Um, And if you're an employee, you will already be feeling that in your paycheck, potentially. Now it's the turn of pensioners to feel the squeeze a little bit because there's always a two-month lag when these things are implemented. So for pensioners, they may notice that just a tiny bit more for uh, health insurance insurance is coming out of their of their monthly or pension payments. And so if you do notice that you're a few euros short, that is what it is. So I thought I'd give you guys a bit of forewarning there, just in case it's a nasty shock. Thanks for that, Imogen. Another big rule change that will affect many foreigners in Germany or those wanting to come to Germany is the immigration law overhaul. So there were a lot of changes, many of which were connected to the EU blue card back in November there. So this is the second phase of changes. Rachel, what should we know? So it's going to be easier for companies to hire employees from non-EU countries on a temporary basis, for example, during seasonal peaks, like during the summer. And it's also going to be simpler for skilled workers to come to Germany. And a really big change that's been talked about a lot is that you'll no longer need a formal qualification like a degree, but just having a professional qualification after two years of training and three years of professional experience is also enough now. And there's also going to be a whole slew of changes for students to allow them to be able to work more hours on a mini job and also easier family reunification rules on top of that. On the topic of family reunification, I would recommend you go back and listen to our episode we released on November 17th last year, where we spoke to a local reader, Babesh Upal, who is one of the many people who feel let down by the changes to family reunion that will only affect new arrivals to Germany. Okay, so a few weeks ago, we did a shout out for questions from listeners of the podcast and readers of The Local. And as I mentioned, then we're going to revisit them from time to time. And if you have any questions, let us know. Just drop a comment on this episode or email germanyinfocus at thelocal.com. We, of course, want to hear from you. So someone asked what kind of visas you can come to Germany with. So I thought, let's talk to an expert. I asked immigration lawyer and lovely friend of the podcast, Sven Hasser, recently, what visas people from outside Europe can apply for if they want to live in Germany. So that is actually a very wide question. It, of course, uh, depends on the individual circumstances. And the first question one should answer is, what citizenship does uh, the person have? Because there are some citizens from the UK, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Korea, Japan and Israel uh, who do not require a visa to enter the country. So citizens of these countries can enter visa-free and apply for a residence permit within the country. And then the question is, what kind of residence permit is useful to apply for? So the law provides residence titles on different purposes of stay, 
And um, if you ask for a residence permit to live and work, then the first one we could look into um, our residence titles for work. And basically skilled workers, so people with recognized degrees, can obtain a residence permit for a specific job position. It is also possible for skilled workers to apply for a residence permit for job search. At the moment, this is six months. In future, we're going to see the opportunity card, which allows to stay for up to 12 months to look for a job position. If you want to do a language course, if you want to do a student program, then you can get the residence title for this specific program with also the possibility of part-time employment. You could also go ahead with a family reunion residence permit that applies to spouses, minor children, and very limited also to parents. So the new law is going to provide the possibility for family reunion for parents um, after 1st of March if the person who want to unite with the parents received the first residence permit as skilled worker after March. That is basically uh, the chapter family reunion. And then we can uh, also jump into special purposes like au pair, Or working holiday programs. Working holiday programs are basically based on bilateral agreements with Australia, Japan, Israel, New Zealand, Canada, Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay. And if you are below 30 or 35 years, then it is possible to get a residence permit for a year, which allows you, depending on the specific uh, bilateral agreement, to work for 12 months or for six months with an employer in Germany. Yeah, so that are the special purposes. And then, well, also interesting for people from the countries who can apply inside of Germany, even if you're not skilled worker, even if you don't have a degree, it is possible to get a residence permit for employment But then you have to undergo a so-called Vorrangprüfung at the employment agency, which means that they check whether there are unemployment people on the labor market for that specific position. So there really are a lot of options that people can use and look into depending on their circumstance and where they're from to see if they can work or study in Germany. Definitely. And um, the good news for this bunch of privileged citizens is that you can come over. You have three months to look um, what the situation is, whether you can connect somehow on the labor market and then you can file an application within the country. So it is much easier than for a person with a citizenship which needs a visa in advance. As you know, guys, we love to talk about things that we can do in Germany, places we can travel, events that we can go to. So I'd love to know what's on this month that you like the look of. So one of my favorite fun facts in Germany is that German is the third largest publishing language in the world, even more so than, say, Spanish. Cool. And so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool because there's so many books that are published in German out there. And it's not surprising that there's also tons of 
book fairs. And so while probably everybody knows of the Frankfurt Book Fair, um, not so many know of the Leipzig Book Fair, which is going to be taking place between March 21st and 24th. And there's going to be a whole slew of German and international authors. There's always a host region. So this year that's going to be Netherlands and Flanders. And they're just going to have so many um, discussions from everybody, from poets to podcasters with the big theme being the war in Ukraine. And overall, it's just expected to be a really dynamic event where you can check out all the latest books and publishing information and um, just have a really good time networking and meeting people from all over the place. Great. So that's March 21st. That sounds brilliant. I'm always looking for excuses to go to Leipzig. So I would definitely be interested to check out their book fair this month. But I'm afraid my event is perhaps a little less highbrow. I'm personally very much looking forward to St. Patrick's Day on March 17th. Um, obviously, this will there will be celebrations all over Germany at all your local Irish pubs. It's always a big fun knees up and uh, very kind of colourful and interesting day of the year. In Munich, though, I think there are the biggest and the best celebrations. Um, so every year, the Irish community holds a giant parade uh, between Odeonsplatz and Siegestor. And there's a big two-day open-air festival, both on the 16th and the 17th. Uh, so really, if you want to see something spectacular and you really want to make this St. Patrick's Day a very big deal, then I would say get yourself down to Munich because it just sounds wonderful. That sounds super fun. Really nice events, guys. So I was kind of intrigued by the festival in Thuringia dedicated to the classical music legend Johann Sebastian Bach. So it involves a series of classical concerts over three weeks and it starts on March 21st. And they apparently take place at spots where Bach lived or worked or was inspired by. So it sounds pretty cool. And also there will be lots of events going on in Berlin and elsewhere for International Women's Day or Frauentag. So it's a public holiday in Berlin and I believe Mecklenburg, Western Pomerania too, right? As of a couple years. Yeah, exactly. So all the supermarkets will be shut as well as workplaces and schools in these areas. But there will be protests and various stuff going on across Germany on March the 8th. So keep a lookout for that if you're interested. Gender equality. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and a nice tradition in Germany on Women's Day is to gift flowers to women. So sometimes people will hand them out to you on the streets. Is that a hint, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, we all want flowers, oh, yes. right? Maybe we should. Yeah. yeah, we should bring them into the booth. Yeah. I, I once was handed flowers by women giving them out at a tram stop, notably in the eastern part of Germany, which really made my day. Yeah. Oh, lovely. That, see, they, that's what happens sometimes. They literally just hand them out in the street. Yeah. But I would say flowers to women every day. Yeah, definitely. We I'm don't just need the one day. It should be <laughs> Women's Day every day. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you so much to all our listeners. As always, we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. And it would mean a lot to us if you hit follow, left a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you enjoyed it. This week's panelists have been Rachel Stern and Imogen Goodman. Our guest was Sven Hasse and our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Rachel Loxton. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll see you in two weeks time. Until then, take care.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.